Yo, what up, what up, UMU? What's up, everybody? Hey, hey. What up, what up, UMU? And welcome to The Savvy Investor, where we discuss money moves, investments, and opportunities for generational wealth. Our conversations will be tailored specifically for those who have served. Think, plan, execute. Let's continue to grow together. UMU presents Savvy Investor, where we talk money moves. Joining me from the admin team, we got Tony. Say what up to the people, Tony. Hey, everybody. All right, all right. So today we got a special guest with us today that's going to come down and sit down and talk to us about his life and how he went from airman to real estate mogul, real estate entrepreneur. So joining us, we have Derek P. What up, Derek? How's it going? It's good to be here. Hey, what up, what up? All right, so take a little bit of time to um, introduce yourself to the people. Tell them a little bit about yourself before we get a little um, deep diving into you as a person and your story. Sure, and I have to say that intro was, uh, that was awesome. That was <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> um, but yeah, so what's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Um, so my name is Derek. I am a veteran out of the U.S. Air Force, uh, specifically the 823rd Red Horse Unit here at Herbert Field. Um, I did a very short tour in the Air Force. I enlisted for four years. I separated at my four-year mark. Um, I did a lot while I was in, uh, including purchased two houses and started a real estate hustle that eventually turned into a business, which eventually turned into a career. And um, my real estate journey is ultimately what took me out of the Air Force. So I originally wanted, I thought I was going to do 20 years, just like most people, but um, I ended up going a different direction and, you know, took my contract at my four-year mark and, uh, here we are. I haven't looked back since. So I still live right outside of the base. Uh, my real estate business services, Herbert Field and Eglin. So I'm pretty much still immersed in the community over here, but, uh, I'm a civilian now and I got out as a senior airman. So here we are. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. So, uh, Tony, if you want to go into the first question we got for Derek today as far as his career is concerned. All right. So first questions first. What made you get into real estate? So, um, you know, it's an interesting one and I'll try to kind of be thorough, but direct at the same time. Um, 
real estate was the most welcoming sector of wealth building for somebody who had no wealth, right? So the best point I could make is like when I was in the Air Force, right? I was a young A1C, unmarried A1C when I first showed up at Herbert. Um, I was making like $800 every two weeks. You know what I mean? Like it was, you know, basically, sorry. Basically we were making enough to pay our bills, but we were not making enough to actually get ahead anywhere. And so the problem became, I was, you know, really burnt out from that. And when I got to the point where I was like, Hey, you know what? Like I really need to do something different because I was a car person. Sergeant Rador, you remember that. Um, the car Talk about before you before you move in, you weren't <laughs> a car person. You are a car person. But we'll get into yes. that later. Yes, and um, so the basis of wanting to change my life from what it was—not that it was bad, but it was just not my full potential. A lot of it had to do with I was a car enthusiast. I wanted all of these various different cars, and the only thing in common with the people who owned the type of cars that I liked is that they were wealthy, and I was not. So there was just this such a big disconnect and um, real estate is the, it, it, there's so many ways to go from nothing to something in a, in the real estate market. And so I looked at stocks, I looked at, um, you know, starting like an Amazon business, drop shipping. Like I, I looked at everything that you could think of to try to escape that rat race of, you know, just the bi-weekly pay cycle where you get paid, you pay your bills, it's gone. You wait till the first and the 15th. And so my journey into real estate started when I came across a concept called real estate wholesaling. And you might remember this process, but wholesaling is a way for somebody without any money to get into real estate and they can start hustling. They can start trying to put some deals together. It's a way that you can generate income not based on the amount of hours that you're present, but the amount of results that you're getting. And that stuck out to me massively because I didn't have many hours because I was active duty. It's not like I could have just texted you in the morning and said, hey, I'm not coming to PT today. I have a deal I'm working on. Like it doesn't work like that. So wholesaling was a way to get invested into the real estate sector without really having any experience or any background. So um, that was my first uh, dipping my toes in, in pursuit of that better life was, was that methodology. So, I mean, do you want me to share my first? Well, can you go a little bit into detail as far as like, what exactly is wholesaling? For those that aren't familiar, like what right. is the process of wholesaling? What do you do? What, what, are you, what, are you, what are you trying to connect? For sure. So let's just say I'm a wholesaler now. I've decided this is the medium with which I'm going to be in real estate. I am a person that's going to look for a property that is distressed for whatever reason, it's been unmaintained. It's been inherited from a family member who doesn't live there anymore. For one reason or another, this house is not a good fit to be sold at market value. It's got stuff wrong with it or any myriad of reasons. Um, a wholesaler like myself at the time is gonna find a house like that because also they're not on the market. They're not just sitting on Zillow saying, hey, I'm a great deal, right? These are buried deep into people's discussions. They're buried in the, the family lineage somewhere. And so it's my job, my hustle to go out into the, my community, find a house that's uh, distressed or for let go for whatever reason. I will then place an offer on that house as a cash buyer. I'll write them an offer for what I think is a cash offer. And 
what I'm going to then do is turn around to my pool of investors that actually have money and want to buy this house and renovate it and put it on the market and flip it and make a, a profit on their end. I'm going to sell my entry point into that property because we all know you make money on a house on the purchase. You, you don't make it on the sale. You make it when on your entry. So if I get to, say, lowball this person what I think it's worth after it's renovated, um, and the, I'll kind of dip my toes into my first deal, I offered somebody $30,000 for their house in Crestview, which was like, I mean, that's like what closing costs are in some houses, you know right. what I mean? And I had no idea what I was doing whatsoever. I just was getting ahead of myself. And so this lady accepted it. It was a hoarder house that I would then find out. I showed up to look at it after already offering on it, which was my first mistake. And when I went inside, there was belongings from floor to ceiling. And I was like, man, this is, this is going to take like $30,000 to, to renovate. And, you know, I'm just like concerned about paying my groceries. You know what I mean? Like, so, but in a broader concept, a professional wholesaler will take this $30,000 house and he will sell his contract to other home flippers that will say, buy that contract from me for $35,000. Cause that's still a fantastic entry point for them. And then they will take the project, they'll renovate it, put it on the market and sell it for a hundred thousand dollars and make, and there's a spread on that too. And so when done perfectly, I will make $5,000 for my hustle of identifying this house, putting a good offer in place, marketing it to other investors, and they buy the contract and simultaneously the house for me and everybody makes money. And that was my first experience as an active duty member. Cause remember I was still in at that point with no money, but I was in real estate. That was my very first month on the job, if you will. So pretty much for a wholesaler, you're selling the rights to purchase the property. Like somebody gives you, you offer them a, a price, they write that contract, that contract gives you the right to purchase that property. You're gonna turn around and sell it to somebody else who's gonna come in and make the renovations and actually uh, sell the property. And the person making the renovations when done correctly pays a small margin over what I have agreed to pay. So that margin is then my income. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, thank you for, for breaking that down for a lot of us. Cause um, you see a lot of those signs. I see them all over the place. Hey, we'll buy your house. Yeah. I'll pay cash money for your house. So that's pretty much what, what the wholesaler does, right? Absolutely. Those signs and, and advertising and such. So, okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Absolutely. So that was my first uh, dabbing of my foot into real estate as an airman. But where were you at in Railhorse? I was, uh, well, I was in the structures shop. So I was on Herbert Field. Uh, the uh, DSSD, I want to say, that was our old designation. Um, the structures office, yes. Right. So maybe I missed it, but how did you just pick real estate of all of the things you could have done? How did you yeah, pick real so, estate? Okay. The Yeah. So when I was, this brings me back to kind of the lifestyle we had, because of course I was then newly married too. And at the time my wife was struggling to find a job. It's just this area doesn't offer a lot to college graduates outside of the military. So we were living paycheck to paycheck and we were running out of money constantly. And of all the sectors, which, you know, of course we've already covered, there's a hundred you could choose from most of them required capital to get started. And for somebody who doesn't have any money at all, but they have this drive and ambition, 
real estate is a perfect way for you to get in because it's one of the sectors that you can enter into the space without having capital prepared in the first place. So if I want to open a business, if I want to open a restaurant, or if I want to start a company, very often I need capital to do that. And I need a business plan and I need time and I need hours. Real estate has avenues with which someone like myself can step into the sector and just get started right away. And there's, you don't need capital to start. And honestly, that was one of the few choices I had because I did not have any capital at that point. Awesome. That's actually one of the things we talk about on this series. Like one of the things I like to mention, there's three main ways to pass on or start with some generational wealth, right? Real estate is the first one, kind of the easiest. Get a professional degree. So if you become a lawyer, doctor, engineer, you'll probably be able to pass on something. Or if you start a successful business. So if you start a business where like Amazon or something like that, or even a, a a grocery store or a, a chain or something like that, you'll be able to pass on some wealth. So awesome. Thanks for thanks for sharing that, Derek. So our next question for you is going to be like, what were some of the robot blocks early on once you started wholesaling or getting into the real estate world? Yeah, absolutely. And um, so, it, you know, it's been a while since I thought about this first fumbling of the football because it actually kickstarted the rest of my whole journey. So this house that I had under contract for $30,000. It was actually up in Crestview. And this one particular day after work, I had an investor that wanted to see it. And he said, I'm bringing my agent with me. We're going to meet you up there. We'll just call it 430, whatever the case. And I actually didn't expect that. So I didn't have clothes with me to change. So I straight up wore my ABUs and just drew, like after work, just drove up to Crestview to go show this house. Right. So that was the first mistake. The second mistake I made was when I got there to technically show the house to this agent and investor who were both waiting outside, um, the homeowner actually came outside and greeted everybody. And I referred to her as my client. I said, thank you to my client for letting us come in and see the house. And um, let's go on and take a look. And so they went inside, they looked around, they saw it was a hoarder house with unopened and well previously open food all the way to the ceiling and that it was just a giant mess so the investor himself walked back outside and was talking to the lady and i was inside still in my uniform and this agent who i actually understand was a broker so she owned her own firm she was like are we the only two people standing in the house right now and i said yeah i think so and she's like okay so here's what i'm going to tell you and you're going to take my advice because I'm only going to say it once. You're committing a felony. And I was like, whoa, what are, you, what are you talking about? I'm just trying to like see if your person likes it. She said, do you have a real estate license? And I said, no, I don't. She said, well, you just committed unlicensed real estate brokerage services because you just referred to that person as your client. You're unlicensed. And she said, it costs thousands of dollars a year to have a firm that takes on clients and you're doing it in an air force uniform. <sighs> and I was like, um, okay. I, I was like, look, I'm going to be really honest with you too. I didn't know any of these things. I'm not, I have no malicious intent. I'm not trying to skirt the system to save any money. I'm just following a guide that I was aware of. And I perhaps misspoke that she's definitely not my client. I'm just, a buyer and she's a seller and you guys are buyers. And she's like, okay, well, I do believe you. So here's what's going to happen. She said, you're going to finish up here. You're going to take this Zillow ad down 
and you're never going to do this again. And if I see you doing this again, I will report you to the state. And I was like, I will shake your hand right now uh, to say, to agree to all of that. I want no part of that because it's actually, I want to say it's a second degree misdemeanor. So her using felony was probably a little bit of a, like, I'm going to talk aggressively to this person, but she scared me enough to where I went home and deleted everything. Like I tore up the contract I had with that lady. I was like, I was over my head. I, I don't want to interfere with what you're basically I got myself into such a corner where if I didn't kind of throttle it back a little bit, I was probably setting myself up to get in trouble. And then of course that would have been really bad since I was also active duty mm-hmm. getting in trouble like that wearing a uniform is like the worst thing in the world. So I basically, that was my first like gut punch, right. Where I couldn't believe that that was being said to me. And so I thought, you know, after that, I was like, well, I'm extremely discouraged because I thought I was going to make a little bit of money. Cause remember at this point, I still have no money at all. I'm still just base paying it just as we're going. And, um, the reason I bring this up is because at that point I discovered, I was like, well, she referenced having a license she referenced doing it legally and that what I want to do is actually a thing, but there's mm-hmm. more steps I need to do first. I can't just right. line and jump to the front and say, Hey, I'm a big fish on in this pond. Now go through me for stuff when I'm just simply an airman. Right. And so it was at that point where I then made it known to my shop mates and most other people that I was like, Hey, look, I just really pushed the limit on this hustle that I'm doing. And I, I'm going to now throttle it back and actually go the channel of getting a real estate license with the state and do everything proper in the daylight, in the green, where it's 100% endorsed to do, not an underground hustle that I almost just got in trouble for. So that was my first failure that ultimately changed the course of what I was doing in the Air Force as a real estate person. Hey, the universe don't make no mistakes, man. That was a learning point. So hey, I'm glad I'm glad that lady was there to kind of give you some advice. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad she didn't turn me in. She ultimately, by not turning me in, she breeded somebody that would go on to change hundreds of lives. So ultimately, I do think, you know, you don't always just go the maximum punishment on people if there is a chance that you can like, rehabilitate what they're doing and to make it into a positive, which ultimately happens. So message. Did you ever reach out to what's that? Did you ever reach back out to her? You know, I have never thought about it, but I would love to, if I could, I'd have to sift back through six and a half years right now of communication, (laughs) like email and text and stuff like that. And then I should also tell you the contract I wrote that house on was a Google default that I printed out at the shop and sat there at the desk, writing it out myself. And uh, I was so, you know, the legal description on any listing, the legal description is like what the city uses to like assess a tax on your house. I wrote three bedroom house (laughs) as the legal description. (laughs) God, man, I don't even know. I, I'm so happy I got in trouble. <laughs> but anyways, so yeah, so that was my first, uh, you know, just straight gut punch. But ultimately, that changed the course of what I was doing. So, okay, well, getting into doing it the right way, like, mm-hmm. what were some of the challenges in getting started? So, 
Challenges in getting started, it can feel very intimidating when you're looking at the requirements and you realize you have to pass a 63-hour course that you then need to graduate from. And once you graduate from that, you have to go take a standardized test at the state level that's proctored. So, you know, the whole the room everybody hates where it's empty but a desk and you sit there. All I give you is a pencil and a calculator and a mad face. You know what I mean? Like that's <laughs> how you got to pass. And so it's very intimidating because the content is very dry. It's very legal based. It's all law. It's all about how not to get in trouble, not actually how to be a talented, hustling real estate person. It's just the bookwork of how to not get in trouble. And so um, the other thing is once you pass and do graduate and you get a license, you then have to choose a firm to put your license at because a lot of them are tailored to different reasons. Like if you're somebody that wants to do this kind of like part-time and, you know, every so often you'll get a call and go open a few doors, do this, that there's companies for that. And then if, if you're a person that wants to just dive face first into this and just hustle your face off, there's companies for that. And so you have, it's kind of a moving needle as to what is the right fit for you. And you have to choose the right fit because it can go wrong really fast too, if you're at the wrong brokerage, but um, ultimately, this was a really funny story. Again, I'll be really brief about it. But basically, because I had spoken so much to my shop about my journey and getting started and passing my course and doing all this stuff, word kind of started spreading, like not quickly, but softly, like, hey, uh, that guy's like going places like he's not giving up yet. Like he is trying to do stuff after the clock hits 330. He's he's not just going home and opening a beer up. He, he's, he's doing things. And so I was at my house that I had bought, which is a whole other story. And we were in Navarre and um, I was working on my car at the time, which shocker in the driveway, I was dealing with doing whatever. This man comes walking down the street and he's wearing a three piece suit. It's four 30 in the afternoon in the middle of the summer, which as you know, is a hundred degrees out <laughs> and humid. Long pants, uh, vest suit. And he's carrying a whiskey on the rocks and he's just walking down the street, no car, no nothing. And I'm like this, I, I'm like looking at him like what in the world, what am I even looking at right now? And so he actually comes into my driveway and introduces himself and he says, hey, I'm so-and-so, I work at this real estate firm. I'm in the neighborhood visiting with a Red Horse member that lives around the corner. And he mentioned that you at this address are an aspiring real estate person. So I wanted to come shake your hand and say, if you want some uh, guidance, that I'd be happy to start you. You know, I'd be happy to get invested with you and see what you got going on. And I was like, wow, that's that's 100% right. Like, I'm totally lost right now, but I have my license. I don't really know how to start. I just got severely scared, you know, during doing this other stuff. And so ultimately, I started working with that person. And I joined a real estate team the following week under that person. And we had like maybe three or four other agents that were, most of us were brand new. And that was like the hustle center, right? He lived in Navarre too. And so every day after Red Horse was up, I would drive home and I would go over to his house and we would sit around the table and we would talk real estate and talk deals and talk the contract and start learning all this stuff. And um, ultimately that's what resulted in my very first pending transaction as a realtor was um, with an electrician out of Red Horse that was trying to use his VA loan. Um, do you remember Rick Chandler? Yes. Yep, yep. Rick Chandler, um, who I would go on to help three times after this, by the way. But 
here nor there. Uh, he was my very first client. And we went and put his house under contract in Navarre. And his very first house, I brought this team leader with me because I honestly didn't know what I was doing yet. I could guide them through a showing and talk to them about the very basics, but I had no idea what I was doing. And that was my very first closing was Rick Chandler. And um, the reason that's significant, because it was, it was also my very first success. Because remember, I'm a person with $0 in my bank account beyond the first and the 15th. Like I keep hitting that because I feel like that's something that people resonate with. And this particular closing, I received a check for $3,000 after the deal funded and closed. That was my commission on the deal. I watched my bank account go from 150 bucks to 3,150 bucks in a single workday. And that to me represented eight and a half months of bills in one day from this sector that once kicked me out and said, this is not for you. You're going to get in trouble to not giving up and going, a, just simply going a different way. And then I received $3,000 after, you know, obviously wrote, writing the contract and waiting a month, but I still remember it to this day. Like that $3,000 changed my life more than the next 150 closings ever did. Because that was the first day I realized that I get to pave my own direction, not somebody else or not a job with a paycheck with an hourly thing. I was the one that got to determine the pathway I was going. And the funny part about that is a lot of people would be tempted to say like, wow, you know, that's like, I mean, it's not a huge amount of money, but it was enough money at that point in my life where I could have went and bought a bunch of stuff like right. wheels for the car, uh, Louis Vuitton wallet, whatever you can think of. I could have just ran down to the store and got, but my mindset was what happens if I do this again next month and I didn't spend anything? What, what if I do this a third month in a row and I don't spend anything? Imagine the freedom that would come with that. And that was eventually, that was my first building block towards, like if there was ever a, a separation of, I don't, I don't even know the best analogy, but the separation from like the nine to five, the paycheck cycle where you're just trudging the same pathway, that was my divergence. My very first closing with Rick Chandler. That's dope, man. I love to hear stories like that. That's super yeah. dope. I just want to take, take a moment to kind of highlight that all three of us right now on camera are H23rd Red Horse alum. Oh, wow. Right now. So to the horse. Like, to the yep, horse. horse. <laughs> to the horse. Um, man, that's a pretty awesome story. That's a pretty awesome story, especially when you hear things like uh, it was a, you can almost go back and pinpoint the moment that you're, you're starting to take the steps towards this version of you. And I love hearing it because there's a lot of people that are probably watching or going to watch this that are probably in that same boat that you were in. They're probably mm -hmm. in that next, that early stage of the next chapter of their life. They're trying to figure that out. So um, if I, if no one else takes nothing from this, just keep hustling, keep grinding, and you'll get there. So now, yeah. now that we talked a little bit about your first successes, um, let's kind of delve into how did that first success help you to start setting the stages for your next step, right? So you're moving past the early stages of your career in this aspect. How do you start setting yourself up for the later stages? Yeah, so I think what's important to think about is a concept you learn very quickly in business is that your success in business is not guaranteed. And even if you find some level of success, 
it goes away the moment you stop trying. So that was, and that continues to influence me today because let me write that have, down. If you have ten houses that are about to go, you know, have a closing. Well, that's fantastic. That's a lot of money. That's a successful quarter. That's whatever your you know frame of reference is. If you just if you just say to yourself, okay, I've made it. I'm I'm good. Well, ultimately, that's going to go away. And so the reason or the the way that that very first success kind of started to make sense for me was like I was talking about when you start realizing, what if I do this again? What if I do this a third and a fourth time? And the reason why I couldn't spend that amount of money was because of the fact that I was at that point beginning to question my longevity in the Air Force because, excuse me, probably by maybe three to four, five months into my real estate career, when I was starting to see the bigger picture, because I was able to successfully do that, by the way, the following month, I had two closings on top of that first one. And then that following month, I had two more. And I was not spending a dollar of it. I was still living off of my Air Force income because I was like, this is not guaranteed. This is not promised. And so when it became sensical to me that the time would come to separate from the Air Force, I would be giving back my guaranteed paycheck, giving back the insurance, giving back the just stability that because these are all great benefits of being in. I, I mm-hmm. want to highlight none of this is possible without the Air Force propping me up. You know what I mean? I never would have been able to take a risk like that if I had no income at all. But because I had income, it allowed me to take this risk. And so for 18 months, selling houses after hours and being active duty at the same time, I was always in the back of my mind preparing to give back the Air Force. I was always preparing to step out and do this full time and do this on my own. And because it's so sporadic, you have to learn financial literacy. You cannot be a reckless spender. You can't, you just, the risk of failure is too high if you run out of money because you can't just force people to buy houses. You can't force them to sell. Like look at the environment we're in right now. It's of the hardest we've ever seen in the last 10 years, you know, cause everybody's suggesting 2008 is gonna happen all over again, which I, you know, that's a whole other topic, but this is of the hardest time right now, if you're a young military member to buy a house, just like the last year was when there were no houses available, right? So you have to be prepared and you have to learn financial literacy. But ultimately, I realized I was getting closer to my separation point. And I want to say that through this frame of mind um, of not spending any of my money at all that I was making, I was just flooring the gas pedal, but still being present for Air Force stuff to get below the zone, like to get all that, you know, that stuff. Um, I was kind of just like this, just forced to be reckoned with as I was getting closer to my separation point. And there became a point when my separation was inevitable, because I realized in 2017, if you count everything, the real estate, the closings as a real estate agent, my Air Force income, whatever, Um, I actually made more money that year than the chief of the squadron. And I was a young senior airman just trying to put one foot in front of the other. And that was the year when I knew that I need to give active duty back if I'm going to fully pursue this to the utmost degree. And because I I realized I don't want to just be a person that makes 50,000 a year on my side hustle. I want to be a person that makes $150,000 a year every year from there on out 
And then ultimately, because remember that I was a car person, this is what started the initial spark from the get-go. Everybody, and I do mean everybody who had an exotic car was wealthier than me. And I knew I was not going to get to ultimately where I wanted to be if I wasn't preparing for these, you know, don't shoot for the clouds, shoot for the stars. You know what I mean? And so that year in 2017, it solidified for me that I, I need to get out. It almost wasn't a choice at that point. But ultimately, yes, that first transaction led to many more, which led to an income similar to an E9, which allowed me to say I need to separate. Um, and that's when I did that. Hey, um, I, I do got a question, though. So you keep referencing the first car. What was the first car you had when you came to the squadron? The very first car that I had when I came to the squadron uh, was a 160,000 mile BMW beater that was falling apart. It was it, it was a miracle that I made it. Sir, sir we're not going to call that classic car a beater. <laughs> E36 M3 is not a beater in nobody's book. It's a classic. No, it, you know, and that was the that was the thing that to 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 put a frame of reference in place. I bought that car for eight thousand five hundred dollars at that point, and I took out a loan for every dollar of it. Like I'm telling you, I was mm-hmm. I was one hundred and twenty percent leveraged on that eight thousand dollar car in. Uh, <laughs> That thing had a, like a ton of miles on it. And yes, it, you, we, no E36 is ever a beater. I take that back. But, and ultimately that car got sideswiped uh, while I, I, that car got totaled at Navarre Beach um, while I was in it. So that was one whole thing. But that, that's a funny story because that's a whole other chapter I think we can segue into is I did separate in late mm-hmm. 2017, early 2018, I bought my first Aston Martin and that was the moment too, that changed everything that there was no such thing. Nothing was the same after I bought that car. Let me go ahead and and get my license. Yeah, please do. Please do. Um, But I I say that because as a person who I would sit on YouTube and listen to these cars, I would watch, people who you know deserve to have them have them and i'd go to the car shows and they would a lot of times people won't talk to you too and that's one thing i don't like about that car community in some ways is a lot of those people are not very friendly and they were not friendly to me like when i would was still active duty and i'd go to the car shows and go try to talk to the lamborghini owner he'd walk right past me wouldn't even give me the time of day and the reason why this is also so important is because at that point the Aston Martin was always my first dream car, like straight out of James Bond. Like the one I found was actually Skyfall Gray, like the exact car out of the James Bond series. And um, I remember feeling like I was at a point where I had access to that. But when push came to shove and I had to FedEx a check to a down payment to get the car, I'm telling you, I was dry heaving from nerves. I thought I was giving it all away. Like every bit of success I'd had at that point, which was still relatively minor, I thought was enough to obtain an Aston Martin. And when it came time to FedEx the check away, I'm telling you, I sweat through my outfit. Like when I handed it to the guy behind the counter, it was like, here you go. And, uh, you know, I was so incredibly nervous because seeing that car come off the truck, 
seeing the logo, the the fine print of Aston Martin and the whole entire interiors, Alcantara, everything. It was it was a dream come true, but the cost of that was that I cannot not be serious now. Like mm-hmm. now I have something to pay for. And if people see that I got this but couldn't really afford it or couldn't really do what's necessary to be a person who has this car, it was going to be the biggest failure that I'd ever showcased. And while no one knew I was terrified, I was, I'm telling you, I was so frightened to hit that yes button to buy that car but Mm -hmm. fear of now i'm a person with an exotic car the fear i went and quadrupled my business that year because i was so terrified of failing i mastered what i thought was financial discipline and i expanded my customer base i want to say that i had 17 closings which allowed me to buy that car and the year I bought that car, I went from 17 to 59 closings, which was just absolutely extraordinary, like unheard of. A number one agent at the company that year. And it was mainly out of, I am scared out of my mind to not be able to afford this thing. So I'm <laughs> going to hustle harder than I ever have to make sure that doesn't happen. Um, Fear can be an awesome motivator. I love it. It's been onwards and upwards since then. Not that I, I I don't advocate that debt is like the important motivator, right? I don't think that people, if you want to be successful, like don't go buy a Ferrari to force yourself into that. But like arriving at a point where that was originally my reasoning for getting in, right? I bought a car, which was not even terribly expensive at that point. Like I think that car was maybe $50,000, something like that, which by today's standards is like a Ford truck. You know what I mean? But like back then that was a lot of money and it frightened me to no end. And so I ended up quadrupling my business, which led to a lot more stuff. So that was, that was another pivotal moment. Just like that first $3,000 check, the Aston Martin (laughs) off the truck was the second pivotal moment <laughs> i like it all right so next question we have for you what are some people that kind of helped you um that helped guide you towards the middle part of your career so as you're starting to gain a little bit of traction what are some people that um that help guide you yeah so there's a i mean there's a lot of people there's a, there's a lot that i could speak to like varying degrees of help that they provided but um some names that come to mind would be, uh, well, the very first thing I would say was Sergeant Benedetto. If you remember him, uh, Debo, he was my supervisor back then when I was very first, like kind of starting to get this thing going. And he was actually the one who encouraged me not to rent a place, right? He was like, you have good credit. You might not have strong income, but you have good credit. Why don't you try to buy a house just like I did three months ago? And start going, try to start building some wealth for yourself. Like even if the business doesn't succeed, you can still buy a house with your air force stuff. So you should do that. And so the reason I bring him up probably first is because that house ultimately was what we bought instead of renting a place. And we ended up buying a three bedroom, two bath foreclosure with a pool in the backyard for $150,000. And that house appreciated by 100%. Um, We sold that house at the top of the market last Christmas for $365,000. And 
what we did, yeah, it was, and and now here's the here's the great part, especially for a lot of people listening that might not be a real estate agent. That wealth that I extracted out of that property had nothing to do with being a real estate agent. Nothing, not one bit. And it, you know, without him encouraging me to do that, I probably would have just rented a place because that's what everybody did. Every single person just got an apartment close to base and called it good. But he was one of the first ones to deny me that option and say, be smarter than that. You are smarter than that. This is what you should do. And so we did that. And uh, so then fast forwarding back into the business stuff, um, ultimately that first team fell apart. And that's a huge long story, but ultimately just, we were all young. That person in his three-piece suit was also an army veteran. And you might know how like military guys can be at times where you don't agree on everything because somebody has to lead and everyone else has to follow. And if you have a room full of leaders, sometimes that just doesn't work very well. And so I ended up um, leaving that team and I I needed help. Like I was still way too new to be on my own. And so a guy named Justin Myers picked me up and took me under his wing. He lives here in Fort Walton. He had been a realtor for eight years at that point. And I was actually one of the founding members of his team, which he started a team as well. And that team would go on for another five years. But that person took me under his wing and said, this is how you do real estate. Like, this is how the contract should work. Here's how you help people to the utmost of your ability without sacrificing your own well-being. And that's one thing I want to touch on as a real estate agent, as a real estate you know, hustler, it's one of the downsides because, you know, I could talk about all the cars. I could talk about the house we're in right now and all the cars and everything. The price is nothing short of your soul to get it. It is so cumbersome. It is very stressful. It is all of these things, which any successful business is. I don't mean to say that it's not, but I did not have the right mindset going in because I was prepared for the sunshine and rainbows that I brought to every interaction. And the general public, especially when money is involved, there's no sunshine and rainbows. There, there's none of it, absolutely none. And so for me, I was not very talented at managing my stress levels. And I would allow these files to get the best of me to where I would, you know, it even got so bad at a point that I, you, you weren't going to eat dinner that night or even breakfast the next morning or go to the gym the next day. You just, some days you just didn't even want to leave the house or answer your phone because think of it like this. If you have 10 houses that are all under contract and you have 10 people that are at the most stressful point in their life because the average person only buys and sells one or two times in their lifetime, every single time 8 a.m. rolls around, this phone goes crazy. It, exactly what you see right here. You could swipe through the things you're missing for 30 seconds in a row. And that's the amount of people that are commanding your time. And they're very upset with you if you don't get back with them right away. Um, it, it's this whirlwind of issues that you aren't prepared for when the last time you checked, you were just a little airman trying to make some money to have a nice car. And you have to grow into a business owner. You can't just be a hustler your whole life. You have to be a business owner at a certain point. And that person, Justin, really helped me uh, learn the basics of managing my stress levels. Cause at that point I just didn't have it. I, I was Mr. Sunshine and rainbows. And then, um, a, another person who is actually still a person I work with extremely frequently, uh, Robbie Thompson, he was another person that I came across, but he was a lender. So he does 
mortgages. He does your VA loan uh, for you guys. And so with him, he was relatively new to lending at the time, but he had the same energy that I had. He was a person that if we don't know it, we're going to figure it out. Like we're, and so me and him kind of started together as these two young guys that were ready to just hustle the world away. But we also brought morals and ethics into our workplace. Like we, it, it was rare because a lot of times, especially in a sales industry, you'll find a lot of people that put themselves first and not the customer. And in this instance, I was with good people who match my, my humility in my background and of military service. I, I wasn't a person of integrity. I was not a shyster, you know? And so finding people that matched my energy was not easy. And so me and him grew together. We, we started in 2016 as two dudes trying to just do the right thing and make some money doing it. And, uh, now we work together still to this day. And he was the officiant at my wedding for my seven year vow renewal actually. So, but yeah, so those are some people that really helped along the way because there's so many opportunities to fall off. There's, you know, real estate as an agent, I don't know if you guys know this, but it has an 80% turnover rate every 24 months. Mm. So eight out of every 10 agents that celebrate with a Facebook post about getting their license are doing something else two years later. Wow. And so, so, so with that being said, what do you have lined up for your future? So you so, don't meet that yeah, 24 month. Uh, well, so I uh, was fortunate enough to make it through 24 months. Nice. I, in a matter of fact, I think I'm going to be entering into my eighth year. So Yay. I've actually been, yeah, I've been through it. <laughs> I've been around that block almost four times now. And so, um, you know, it's an interesting question because Sometimes the future is a little bit just foggy still, but what I'm doing right now works extremely well. And so I actually separated from Justin's team a couple of years ago too, in 2019. And I then became the team leader. So I had graduated from airman hustling his face off, getting in trouble. Now I'm a new realtor. I made my first 3000 bucks and my life changed. Then my Aston Martin showed up. And then I quadrupled my business and then I started a team. And I ultimately at the top of that team, I had eight realtors working underneath me that were learning from me. So they were the ones asking me, how do I do real estate? I'm in the military. How do I do real estate? And I had this breeding ground of hustling moral, ethical realtors. And the byproduct of that was that I could throttle it back a little bit because I didn't have to be in the streets door knocking every house in the neighborhood, finding my next deal, I could go at my own pace and I could show other good people how to come into this space, how to make a living and ultimately not just a living, but a surplus. And that was absolutely wonderful. I would never take it back. Um, what I ended up having happen to that team was that more or less, they all learned enough from me that they didn't need me anymore. Some didn't want a team anymore. Some left and went to a different company. Because remember, I said everybody's at a different pace. Some people mm -hmm. want to do it part-time. Some people want one deal here and there just to supplement. Other people want to take over the world. And then it's just like a big mixture. So I ultimately got to a point where that team dissolved and went on their own. And half of them are still realtors today, at whether they're at a different company or what have you. Um, and I kind of, that was about a two year venture for me from start to finish. And what I decided the best fit for me was to 
throttle back up my own personal production, but I'm going to hire a strong support staff. So I'm not necessarily doing all my own paperwork. I'm not sending my own emails. I'm not doing a lot of that stuff. I'm the face of this company that's out here shaking hands and meeting people and letting people sit in the cars and do all the stuff. And then I have this amazing support staff that's doing all the stuff that I don't want to do and I'm not good at doing. Um, <laughs> so the future for me, um, you know, it, it is interesting because remember I spoke about the stress levels involved in being a realtor. Um, I personally don't think that I want to be a real estate agent until retirement. I, I don't think that is what I want to do. I want to, and if I am, then my production levels would decrease accordingly. They would decrease to a point where it's not stressful. Like the people that I'm helping are close friends, family, airmen, this, that, and the other, but I'm not working at the pace that I was when I was terrified to make that Aston Martin payment. Those 59 closing closes yeah. that you did. And that would go on and upwards from there. I think the most I ever had in one year was about 84. So yeah. wow. if you think about that, it's like six or <laughs> seven. I'm hustling, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's like six or seven closings a month for five years straight. That's and dope. it's, yeah. And, you know, the thing is, though, it's it's given me the life that I never could have dreamed of. Like cars are, you know, obviously you follow what I have now, right? The, I no, have tell the people what you drive now. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a Ferrari F430 in the garage right now and i daily drive a porsche cayman and i bought my wife a brand new audi q8 and don't tell her but my mother is up next so nice. we're not sure what that's going to be yet but she nice. yeah that's a that's a whole thing so but the thing is it's allowed us to travel to we've traveled all over the world and a lot of the cool thing is that my wife is actually a business owner too she is a wedding photographer and she, her story is just as impressive as mine. Honestly, she started from nothing to giving away free shoots, begging people basically to come let her demonstrate her talent. And she scaled and grew her business and grew her portfolio to go from families on the beach to couples to starting to do a little bit of weddings to now exclusively weddings. And now she's being flown around the country to photograph people's weddings. Nice. And so that's, that's where awesome. a lot of our travel gets to come from. And uh, so, yeah, we've jumped off of cliffs in Maui, Hawaii. We've gone to, you know, Key West. And I'm, I don't know if you guys know, there's like, I don't even know the name of the fish, but there's this one place where there are like six foot long fish you can feed and they'll eat your arm off if you do it wrong. <laughs> we've gotten to feed them, uh, you know, we no. just went to the Grand Canyon and Zion National Park. And we've just done so much. That A1C all in one household. That's pretty dope. What's that? I said success is contagious, man. To hear both of you guys' success stories is really awesome. Yeah, it, it's been a it's been a wild ride. It has yeah. been an absolutely wild ride, and we're obviously not done yet, right? There's still a lot left to do and a lot of incredible things to accomplish. But it, the the journey from that first check to having a Ferrari in the garage and, you know, a nice house and travel all over the world and do stuff is, has been a six year journey, wow. but, but yeah, I mean that, but that's one of the most important things, man. It, this only took me six years to do when you're starting out and you are that airman that doesn't really have a lot of money and you're deciding an apartment or that first house, you're, 
you're you're so much closer than you would ever believe to a, a large level of success you know because i remember thinking like man i have nothing i have nothing i'm making payments on an eight thousand dollar car you know how could i even imagine by the end of an enlistment my life would change and it and it can it it, it really can so awesome I want to go back for a second on something you kind of glazed over. Um, it was one of the questions we had outlined and we're going to ask you, but you kind of talked about it already as far as like, there's going to be a point where sometimes there comes a point where you outgrow your circle. You talked a little bit about that, about that, uh, that group you were in and you guys parted ways and how you still were able to gain a level of success. So I wanted to point it out to those that are listening or, or watching right now that it's okay to outgrow situations. So you kind of outgrew the Air Force and, for you're better for it. the Air Force is still here, but you outgrew the Air Force and that circle that you were in might have stifled your growth if you were decided to try to fight and stay there. So you part ways with it and you grew from there. And that's okay. Yeah, a hundred percent. Well, if you think about it like this, I separated from active duty and would go on to help 400 airmen buy their first house. If you think about that, that's an auditorium full of people. And not just, so take the attention away from me, the agent at this juncture, think about all of those airmen whose homes are appreciating in value and all of those airmen that are going to sell that house one day and see money they never dreamed of. And if I was not the medium by which that, that flowed through because I didn't outgrow the air force, none of that would have happened with those people, at least not through me. And you know, and a lot of those people had to be counseled into into asking those questions. What is my VA loan? How do I use it? What are what is the reason for me using it? What, or, and we even had a similar market to this in 2018, where interest rates were in the five percents, and people were, did not want to buy. They they were terrified to buy. They were like, "This is a really high payment." Well, of the people who chose to buy at that point, who had the foresight to choose the right house, to choose something in a great area that may be valuable down the road. Those are the sellers right now that are making six figures when they sell. Who cares what your rate was? Yeah. Your actual cash on cash return is 10,000% because a lot of these people back then only had their EMD yeah. and they make six figures when they sell down the road. And so for thousand crazy. So Outgrowing your circle is not a bad thing, especially if it ends peacefully. If it if it ends in a manner which is natural, then it's a, it can be a wonderful thing. And sometimes awesome. it's not natural. Sometimes you're around. Sometimes the people in your circle are the reason you're not successful. Facts, my man, dropping gems. I love that. <laughs> you know, because um, I mean, really quick before we jump forward, like, and of course, I'm not going to name drop. Imagine name dropping six years later. Like, I'm still mad. <laughs> There's people in that in the Air Force that hated that I was doing that. They were so mad at me that my focus wasn't CBTs in the next <laughs> T, the next TTP or the or trying to get some school in. Even though I had a bachelor's degree, there were people yeah. who hated and they discouraged me at every single step of the way to not practice real estate even in my off time, because my, my rest was too important to the Air Force mission to, to not have a business after the clock was up. And like that circle ultimately is not unique to me. People who have a dream 
can often lose that dream because the circle they're in is like, that's way too risky. I would never do that. They play a lot of people place their own limitations on you when it comes to your dreams and aspirations. A lot of times you want to do things, you see it so clear in your vision, in your mind, but those yeah. around you can't see it and they'll try their damage to hold you back. Yeah. Um, but, so as we get ready to wrap up, and I know we get I said I promised you an hour, an hour and 15 max of your time, because I know you're you're a busy guy. Um, I would I would be uh, um remiss if I didn't take this opportunity to ask you professional in the real estate world about some market trend or some trends analysis, or even maybe your predictions. So this is going to be a three-part question. What does your market look like right now? What is What do you think the predictions are for the next three years and the predictions for the next five years? Perfect. Yeah. So, um, it, you know, when you're in a car and you rip the emergency brake up, what happens, oh, right? <laughs> you lock the rear tires up and yeah. you change direction really fast. Well, yep. I would say the so if we look back, let's just recap the last 12 months, 12 months ago, if we had a house here, let's just say it was in Navarre or Fort Walton. If we put a house on the market, if it lasted 24 hours, something was absolutely terribly wrong with that house. We had the I think at the most I had a house that had no updates whatsoever, laminate counters, terrible carpets, the worst paint you've ever seen needed a roof. 13 offers, six or seven of which were sight unseen, no inspections, didn't care, wave the appraisal, everything. And what this meant was if you were a young airman trying to buy, you were forced out of the market. There was no place for you. If you couldn't pay your own closing costs, as well as an appraisal gap to pay over asking price, because the VA, we already know, is going to assign a value you need to be able to cash your way over that if you have any chance at buying a house. And that was a lot of last summer and even into the fall. Well, as soon as rates started to creep up, which I think is a very healthy thing because that type of a market's not sustainable. It, it is absolutely, you know, people get very greedy. And while that's a whole thing, a market that grows at 25 to 30% in a year if you do that two years in a row, you're going to collapse the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And what I'm seeing now is reminiscent of that 2018, 2019 market, where if you're a buyer in, an, in the military, because that's the focus group that I have, you have the opportunity now to submit an offer with full closing cost coverage. In our market right now, a house is sitting on the market for usually about two to three weeks at this point. That's the advice I'm giving my sellers. You need to budget yourself 30 days before we settle on a contract. And keep in mind, that's settling on an offer. That's not 30 days and you're going to have as many offers as you can think of. That's budget yourself a month because sometimes sellers don't have the ability. If they PCS and get an apartment at their next base, they can't float two mortgages, mm. not on one BAH. So some of these people need to budget for an elongated sale process where they have to make an extra mortgage payment after they're gone. And so, yeah, right now the market has slowed down quite a bit where, like I said, we're about a couple weeks on the market right now. We're seeing a lot of closing cost coverage for buyers become a thing again. Um, the homes are appraising at asking price, which is kind of nice because before we used to hope they would appraise for some astronomical figure. Yeah. So the deal wouldn't fall apart. Um, but yeah, I mean, right now, I would say if you're a buyer, despite the high interest rates, 
because they are high. They're five and a half percent today for VA. Um, if you have the foresight to do exactly what those people in 2018 did, find the right house, find something that's in either good condition or it's a good skeleton and you can make it better, but not a money pit. Those are the houses that the interest rate is going to be irrelevant when you have six figures of equity in a short period of time. Um, I would say the worst thing to do right now is to chase retail pricing on something that's already perfect. Because if you're going to chase market value and you're going to try to offer over asking price with a high interest rate on top of that, one of the side effects is you may not be able to rent it out and clear your payment. If, Most you're, likely won't, yeah. if you're going too aggressive. So having a strategy that's going to say, okay, there's way less competition right now. Um, I'm going to find a good house that I can make better. I can get some equity out of this. And when I PCS, because it's inevitable, I will either sell for a massive profit or I will put a renter in place and take the avenue of passive income from my rental. Because I don't know if you remember this, I actually did buy a second house in 2016. I used my VA bonus entitlement and I owned two houses at the same time as an active duty senior airman. My first house generated, I want to say about $600 a month of rental profit. My mortgage on the second house I got was only 900 all in. So I net was living for $300 a month as a senior airman in a house that I owned. And that allowed me to save more money with my real estate journey, the, the whole thing. So finding the right house has never been more important. And as far as a prediction, I, I will be the first one to say, I do not think we're going to see this paramount crash that people, if you have, if, if you survey a thousand military buyers right now, 750 <laughs> of them are going to say, well, I'm going to buy when the crash happens. And I would say, first of all, no, you're not because you're going to be terrified. The crash isn't over. Right. Mm -hmm. and no one's buying on the downslope when they just magically feel the confidence that the crash is over and I'm going to buy right at the bottom. That doesn't happen. I don't think that's going to happen because the supply is still so short. We're under where I want to say the figure and I don't have it in front of me, but the figure was that the demand in America is for 11 million new occupancies a year from buyers and sellers. The mm -hmm. amount of houses that are coming available that are new to the market last year was about 4 million. So there is a deficiency in the supply and demand, which is leveling out. It's starting to level out, which is important, but it's not so high that we're going to topple over the whole sector. The demand is still too high and the supply is still too low to create a crash of epic proportions. And one last thing on that is you don't actually want to wish for a crash because something that also happens when a market crashes, the unintended consequences are people are homeless. They're, they do not have jobs. They can't feed their kids. Companies are closing. Dreams are dying. And there's a market crash takes everything with it. So if we have a retraction, we have a correction, that's better overall for the economy, for the country, for the world even, than this paramount crash. So I think that with these high rates, and I do think they're going to get worse. I, I don't like saying that, but I think rates are going to get worse. I could I think predict, I as high as seven or eight by the end of the year. Uh, yeah. Uh, VA is, again, where my focus is, which is 
the lowest of the rates of any buying option for the most part. The VA is the most forgiving enterprise when it comes to rates for mortgages. And I would say VA rates are not terribly far off of 6% in the near term. And if we get up to six and a half, maybe 7% on a VA rate, that means the general public is seeing seven plus, seven, eight percent. Mm -hmm. If we get that high, I do think that's when you're going to see this, this market grind to a halt. It's because I'm quoting people right now for their mortgages. We're already looking at three, four, five hundred dollars over BAH to buy a standard issue condition house. Yeah. That's why I say the right house is so important because if you're chasing that, Imagine having a mortgage $500 over BAH and the market turns. You know? So, been there. I bought a house in 2007. In Maryland at the time. So, yeah, I've been there. I'm sorry to hear that. So, you then you know firsthand the risks that that poses. But over three years, I think we're going to see somewhat of a bell curve. I think we are going to see a correction. I hope we see a correction because that will restore confidence to go back to the upside over the next couple of years. Um, I think in, again, I think in three years, we're going to be through this recession. Rates are going to start coming, stair stepping back down. And the moment that rates and inflation start to permanently stair step back to the downside, I think our economy is going to really start to exceed again. And that's when the people who, had that foresight to buy right now and buy the right house right now, that's when they're going to exponentialize their wealth because, you know, you can't time it. You're never going to time it right. So, you know, if you catch the bottom 25% of this downturn, you're still going to be incredibly well off. And of course, in 10 years, yeah, I mean, if you look at any real estate chart dating back to the 1800s, it's up and to the right. So you know, don't fret with the short-term volatility, but be smart about it. And if you can avoid renting a place, I, I would, I, I would always take more time to buy your first house than just jump into a rental. That's just throwing your money away unless you know you're going to be there for a year, but that's yeah, my prediction. Gems. I drop in some gems. You hear me? Yeah. I definitely appreciate it. All right. So last question before we, we, we wrap things up. So this is going to be our, this are two, two questions. So I'll, Tony's going to ask you about the book recommendation, but the question before that is, it, this is an advice question. So what would you tell the just join the Air Force version of you? So if you can give yourself a piece of advice or anyone watching, what would that advice be? So the just join the Air Force version of me, um, the first thing I would say is congratulations on the best thing that ever happened to you, because that if, if you, if you don't look at the emotional side of things of an entire organization, having your back, wanting you to succeed, looking at you as a brother or a sister, if you only look at the mathematics, the best thing that ever happened to me in my young twenties was I found structure and I found predictability and a mathematical equation that I can take this system that I am immersed in and I can make it work for me. And so I would, the very first piece of advice I would say is you have to identify what your goal is, what your dream is, right? For me, I wanted, you know, I had a dream one day and I remember this was actually like 
prehistoric me when I still lived in the dorms right across the street from the compound. <laughs> I had a dream that when I woke up for PT in the morning, I went down the steps, sun's not even up yet. And I opened the scissor door to a Murcielago to go to PT. That's a Lamborghini for anyone that doesn't know. And that dream felt so incredibly real. It was like a lucid dream. I like when I actually woke up in my real PT alarm was going off <laughs> and I realized I was like, oh man, like that, that felt so real that it stuck with me forever. And I was like, why people who are way worse than me, let's say someone who went to jail for 10 years, right? The lowest they've probably ever felt. I know examples of those people who got out of jail and are multimillionaires. And so for me, I was like, what excuse do I have? what excuse could I possibly give myself? I've never had anything bad happen to me like that. I just graduated college and now I'm in the military. People here want me to succeed. I want me to succeed. And so I would say you have to find a, what is your what is your dream? Because if you don't have a dream, you can't work towards it, right? And if your dream is to do 20 years and become, or 30 years and become a chief, then there are things that you do to, to accomplish that. You know what I mean? They're getting below the zone, like not getting in trouble, not getting a bunch of paperwork, like doing all the right things. But brand new to the Air Force version of me, I would say, pace yourself. You have a lot of time to make it happen. Like, do not get so overwhelmed so quickly that you're that you either screw up in a big way, like me trying to wholesale a house before I was ready. Um <laughs> Or, you know, you just have to be laser focused and figure out what, what is the best way. And if we're only talking financials, I would definitely say that using your VA loan is paramount. There is no other choice because you can get a free house for the most part. I know there's costs involved with your EMD inspection, but there is no other scenario where someone who makes $32,000 a year fresh out of college can go purchase an asset in real estate. There is no scenario. And in the military, if you even have any service time at all, you qualify on active duty to go buy a house. So that would be the number one way to build generational wealth would be to get in touch and get educated about your VA eligibility from an early age. Like if you can save a year or two of rent, do it, find the right house. But the other thing I would say is, you know, there is absolutely nothing that you can't accomplish. Like for me, even right now, when I look at where are we going from here, well, the amount of money that we either are worth right now or have liquid right now is quite an amazing thing, but it's still not irreversible. I want to get to a point where my family wealth, my generational wealth is irreversible. There is, I could not do anything to not live in this, this way. And I'm not there yet. And whether that means being worth $10 million, $100 million, I've not identified what that is yet, but it's still way too soon to stop trying and to say that we've made it. You know, my favorite phrase was day one all over again. So oh. yeah, imagine being today is your day one and this is the platform you get to start on. How high could you shoot from here? Man, nuggets, nuggets, nuggets. All right, Tony, what do you got for us? All right, so another nugget we would like for you to give us. Um, give us a book recommendation. All right. Something um, that you, you read or you suggest looking at. It would be a really bad time to say that I don't read, wouldn't it? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, the, the, a book that fundamentally prepared me for this life was Rich Dad, Poor Dad 
And I know that that's probably a really common reference. Um, another one was how to win friends and influence people. The reason I liked that one so much is because you can be an ethical influencer, right? People think about someone who's trying to influence somebody is usually to benefit them. Imagine if you brought ethics and humility into that and you were a steward of success and you influenced people to open their eyes to their own success. And ultimately, like I've done, I've created a stadium full of successful people because of my ability to influence them to come in this direction and to not be afraid and to follow what it is that they want in their life because those people are going to eventually buy their mother cars. You know what I mean? And so influencing people in a positive humility, ethical way is incredibly important. So how to win friends and influence people. Amazing book. And then rich dad, poor dad. Um, are you, have you guys read that book? I'm, uh, I have it on audiobook. I haven't finished it all, but yeah. How about you, Tony? Have you read it? So not rich dad, poor dad, or poor dad, but I do have how to win friends and influence okay. people, but I have not read it yet either. It's wonderful. Uh, I do it's have so it. Good. And uh, yeah, so rich dad, poor dad, I mean, in two sentences, it summarizes, you've got a college educated, professional, very high income family. And you've got a guy that dropped out of, I think high school it was, or dropped out of, it was high school and decided to you know be a tradesman and have his ripped jeans and his boots and his hands always hurt and his feet always hurt well the guy who's extremely uh, educated is so depressed because he's so bad with his money that he can't live he makes three hundred thousand dollars a year and his expenses are two hundred and seventy five thousand dollars a year and he hates his life and his kids are unhappy and his wife is unhappy and it's just a terrible situation and the guy that dropped out of high school who understands how to manage money and became a plumber and makes six figures in a year with absolutely zero debt can stop working today and his kids can have their college paid for and this, that, and the other. So the rich dad and the poor dad are the reverse titles that you would not expect. And it tells yeah. the story of how that came to be. And um, it was just really eye-opening because again, from the perspective of somebody who had nothing and had tears in my eyes in my kitchen, opening a $500 water bill in 2015. Cause that was one other thing I had finally got to a point where I had like $150 left over and we got paid again. And I crossed that threshold where we didn't go to zero. Well, the moment that happened $500 water bill, cause I had a water leak under my house that I didn't know about. Actually, Sergeant Robichaud had to come fix it cause I couldn't afford a plumber. So he had to come fix it for me. And I didn't even know it was leaking till it had been leaking for three weeks. And the water company said that I had pumped enough water into the soil to fill three swimming pools. And I, you know, I didn't have money to pay it. I had to go to family readiness and ask about getting some money from the air force to help pay this. So I could try to get back on my feet. And that was yet another example of just getting slapped by life itself. And another motivating factor to say like, Hey, this first $3,000 that I got, I'm going to keep that and hold on to it for the rest of my life because I never want to have to walk through these doors again and ask for help. So yeah. um, I would say, yeah, the new airman or new soldier or whichever branch, because we all have the same benefits available. Um, you have to identify what you want. And sometimes knowing what you don't want is, is a good place to start. So Hell yeah. 
Well, again, Derek, man, I really appreciate you for taking the time and dropping these nuggets on them. I know I learned a lot, um, not only about your your story, but just some insight on on um, the real estate world, wholesaling and stuff like that. So again, thank you for your time. And I'm sure I'm not the only one that learned something from this conversation. So well, two of us learned something because I definitely <laughs> did too. Awesome. Definitely. And if, well, thank um, you. Anybody, if we get any questions from um, the audience, I'll be sure to pass them along. And for those watching, share the YouTube link. Um, watch us on Facebook. Uh, follow us. We do this all the time. So with that, thank you for the admin team in the back that's kind of holding us down. Key and the rest of the admin guys. Thanks again, Tony. And thanks again, Derek, with that. It's been real. All right. Thank you guys for having me. This was a lot of fun. And it's always good to see you guys.